The following is a sermon that was preached at Good News Lutheran Church in Mount Horb, Wisconsin. It was preached on Sunday, July 10th, 2022, on the basis of Luke 7, verses 1 through 10. For more information or to view our entire sermon library, visit goodnewslc.org. Thank you for listening. Well, you have been hearing it over and over again throughout our service so far, and each and every day of our soccer camp this past week, our campers heard it over and over again. This year's soccer camp theme, Voices United, He Has Done Marvelous Things. And all in all, I, th- I think it worked out pretty well as far as soccer camp themes go, but I gotta tell you, there were some other themes that we considered but didn't end up using. Themes that included words like golazo and worldy and screamer. All of those are actually soccer terms, believe it or not. And in fact, all of them have exactly the same sense. All of them refer to something incredible, something amazing that someone might do on a soccer field. But you can probably guess why we didn't use any themes that included those words and instead stuck with the much more plain and much more ordinary theme that we used. It's because many people, maybe even most people, especially in this part of the world, don't know what those soccer terms mean. In fact, maybe you end up feeling that way quite a bit when it comes to soccer. I know I do. Maybe you know some people who are just really into the game of soccer, and sometimes it feels as though you are sort of on the outside looking in. Maybe, for example, you have never heard of tiki-taka or the high press or parking the bus. Those are all different tactical styles of playing the game, by the way. Maybe you don't know the difference between a gaffer or a howler, or a sitter. That's a coach, an embarrassing mistake, and an easy goal in that order. Maybe you don't know what all the letters in acronyms like FIFA, or UEFA, or CONCACAFA stand for. Those are all international soccer governing bodies. In fact, if you're anything like me, when your kids first got into the game of soccer, it took you a long, long time just to figure out how the offsides rule worked. And if that's the case, I suppose that's no big deal, at least when it comes to the game of soccer. But what would be a big deal is if you have ever felt that way with God. Maybe you've heard an idea about God that is sort of along the lines of our soccer camp theme, that there is this God who has done and continues to do marvelous things. And maybe you've thought at times that that God should be a little bit of a bigger part of your life and the lives of your kids. And yet, while other people seem to have that down pat, you're still trying to figure out how exactly that works. Or maybe God has been a big part of your life and the lives of your kids, but you're not so sure about all of these marvelous things. That seems to be something that God often does for other people, but not so much for you. In one way or another, when it comes to God, it sure is easy to feel as though you are on the outside only looking in. 
Well, if that has ever been the case, then the verses in front of us this morning are the perfect verses for us to be looking at. Not only do these verses describe for us one more example of Jesus doing something truly marvelous, but in these verses, there's something very unique and very important going on. This is an example of Jesus doing something marvelous for someone who is a total outsider. Someone who, at least on the surface of things, has no business believing that Jesus would do something marvelous for him. And so as we look at these verses, we're going to see that when it comes to this God who can and does do marvelous things, he does not require you first to become an expert in some elaborate set of rules. He doesn't wait to make sure that you know all of the technical jargon or all of the slang terms. No, instead, as we look at these verses, we're going to find out that you don't have to be an insider for Jesus to do marvelous things for you. That's exactly what this centurion found out. A centurion is a commander in the army. In other words, this is someone, a a Roman soldier, a Roman commander who would have grown up learning a completely different religion, being taught a, a completely different language from Jesus and his people, someone of a different ethnicity with a completely different culture. Not only that, but this man was an emissary, uh, an ambassador, an agent for the oppressive foreign superpower that had taken away from Jesus and his people their independence and their freedom. And so this is the last person on earth, perhaps, who would have had any right to expect that Jesus was going to do something marvelous for him. So why did he expect that? Well, as we look at these verses, we might be tempted to think that it was because of the stats that he had been piling up. When this man finds out that Jesus is in town, he sends this delegation of Jewish officials to go and bring his request to Jesus to speak on his behalf. And yet when these Jewish elders go to Jesus, they don't just relay the man's request. They instead tell Jesus all about this centurion. Yes, even though he was an agent of the Roman government, time and time again he had shown how he loved the Jewish people. Not only that, but he had personally financed the construction of their local synagogue as a group of people that is in the process of putting up a church of our own. We know all too well That this is more than just picking up the tab for everyone in your group at Culver's when you go out to eat. This was a very generous contribution that this man had made. And so it's on that basis that these Jewish elders go to Jesus and say, this man deserves to have you do this for him. He is worthy of you granting this request and he's got the statistics. He's got the record to prove it. So maybe that's the key. I don't know specifically what marvelous thing you might be looking for Jesus to do in your life right now. Maybe someone that you love, someone that you value highly, just as the case was as was the case with this centurion, is sick and is about to die. And you want Jesus to cure them. Maybe you don't feel that spark in your marriage that you felt on the day that you got married and you want that spark to come back. Maybe all of your educational or career ambitions have sort of stalled and you're just waiting and hoping for some kind of big break. I don't know what marvelous thing you're looking for, but maybe this is the key. 
to start piling up all the right stats. Start going to church, praying more, reading your Bible more, volunteering more, donating more, mending broken relationships, cleaning up your language, stopping the drinking. Maybe that's the key to success. Getting Jesus to do this marvelous thing that you want him to do exactly the way that this man did. Proving that you are worth it. Piling up all the stats that make it clear that you deserve it. Except that this man didn't. I have no doubt that what these Jewish elders said about this centurion was absolutely true. I have no doubt that time and time again he had proved how he loved the Jewish people. No doubt that he had written this big, giant check to help them build their church building. And yet none of that meant that he deserved anything from Jesus. And he knew it. And so when he found out that Jesus was actually going to come to his house, he had to quickly send out another delegation. This time they were supposed to let Jesus know not to come any further that he did not deserve to have Jesus come under his roof. In fact, he didn't even deserve to bring this request to Jesus himself face to face. That was the whole reason he had sent the first delegation in the first place. This man trusted that Jesus was going to do this marvelous thing for him, not because of the fact that he had deserved it, but in spite of the fact that he hadn't. And that, friends, is actually the key. No matter what marvelous thing we might be looking for from Jesus, the first thing we need to realize is that nothing we have done, nothing we can do, can possibly make us worthy of Jesus doing it. We don't need to prove ourselves to him. In fact, even if we spent our entire life trying to do that, it wouldn't amount to anything. We might impress some others like the centurion had, but we're certainly not going to impress Jesus. When it's all said and done, we will have done absolutely nothing to deserve anything marvelous from him. In fact, the only thing we will have done is deserve nothing but his wrath and his anger. This centurion had it right. Jesus did not need his worth. In spite of all of the nice things he had done, he didn't even deserve for Jesus to come under his roof. And so he didn't. Jesus never actually made it to the man's house. That's kind of a surprising thing because there are plenty of other instances where Jesus did that very thing. In fact, just a few verses after these, Luke tells us that Jesus had developed this reputation of being a man who ate and drank with sinful people all the time. Jesus loved entering the homes of people who didn't deserve it, and yet that's not what happened here. So how in the world did this story end the way that it did? With this centurion servant who was sick and about to die, suddenly getting well. Well, this centurion didn't just know something important about himself. He also knew something very important about Jesus. He didn't just know that he didn't deserve for Jesus to come under his roof. He also knew that he didn't need Jesus to come under his roof. And in fact, here's where this outsider maybe had a little bit of a leg up. As a commander in the Roman army, he knew the power of words. He knew the power of commands. When you are in authority over someone else, all you need to do is speak the word and it will be so. 
Well, this man knew that Jesus was in authority, not just over a few dozen soldiers in the army. He knew that Jesus had authority over disease and demons, over wind and wave, even over death itself. And so he didn't need Jesus to enter his house. He simply needed Jesus to speak the word. Because when you get Jesus' word, it's as good as getting Jesus. And as much as that was an important thing for the case of this centurion, it's even more important for you and me. If Jesus had needed to actually go to this centurion's house in order to heal the servant, he could have done that. That's not even possible for you and for me to expect out of Jesus. Because he told them. He told the sick to be well. He told the lame to get up. He told the blind to see. He told the dead to live. And sure, we can sit around wondering and waiting to see if Jesus is going to do those kinds of marvelous things for us. He certainly can. Maybe he even will. But far more certain for us are the specific marvelous things Jesus has told us he will do for us. So Jesus might not take that loved one who is sick and about to die and cure them. But Jesus has promised you that all who trust in him, even to the point of death, will rise at the last day and be reunited with all those they love. Jesus may not reignite that spark that you felt for your spouse on the day that you got married. But Jesus has promised that the kind of love that always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres in spite of how you might feel, that kind of love never fails. Jesus may not make all of your career aspirations and dreams come to a reality, but Jesus has promised that he will take every earthly disappointment that you face and use it to bring you to your heavenly reward. Jesus has not promised you things that are less marvelous than what he did for the centurion. He's promised you things even more marvelous. He has given you his word that every single sin you commit will be forgiven. He has given you his word that every single tear that you shed here on earth will one day be dried. He has given you his word that every single enemy that stands against you now will one day lie crushed beneath your feet. And all you need from Jesus is his word because getting Jesus' word is as good as getting Jesus. Even though the centurion was a, an outsider, he, understand, he understood those two important things. That Jesus didn't need his worth, and all he needed was Jesus' word. And because that was the case, there's actually something else that's very unique and very important about these verses. It's not just one more example of Jesus doing a marvelous thing. This week during camp, the kids heard just a few examples of the many marvelous things that Jesus did. Things that would make a, a stadium full of soccer fans absolutely go wild, sort of like when there's a Galazzo or a Worldie or a Screamer. 
Jesus did those kinds of things all the time. This thing happened just once. Not that Jesus did something that caused someone else to be amazed, but that someone else did something that actually caused Jesus to be amazed. That's what Luke tells us, that Jesus was amazed. Jesus was in awe. Jesus' jaw dropped at the faith that he saw in this centurion. And so maybe that's where we want to be. Maybe when it comes to Jesus, feeling like you're on the outside looking in might just be exactly the place where we ought to be. That in a world full of people who think that they need to or maybe have already proven that they deserve things from Jesus, to be an outsider who knows that Jesus does not need worth from us. And in a world full of people who are looking with their eyes for the latest, greatest thing, visible proof of what Jesus is up to, to be outsiders who are content to trust what we have heard with our ears, Jesus promised to us. We might think it would be great if Jesus would do something like this for us. We might think it would be great if these verses somehow gave us some sort of strategy for getting Jesus to do what we want. These verses give us something far better. In fact, there is nothing better than having the one who can do, has done, will do marvelous things, marveling at the faith that he sees in you. Amen. Amen.